Thanks for tuning in to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged to walk out the gospel as you listen to this message. Good morning, everybody. Y'all good today? It's good to see you. Man, there's so many great things happening at Hope and uh, events. You check all those out online. Uh, Man, this past Wednesday night, we celebrated the faithfulness of God at our business meeting. It was amazing. And I I know many of you didn't have the privilege of being there. Um, But it was a great time. And one of the things that we got to celebrate was um, we had last year the largest missions giving year in our history, which we were able to give just under a half a million dollars, uh, foreign, local, and just to what God is doing on the earth. And I'll tell you what, we want to be a part of what God is doing, not only here, but out of here. And it's a beautiful thing. So thank you for your faithfulness in giving. This Wednesday night is All Together Night. I want to encourage you to come. It's going to be a powerful night. If you um, have not been baptized or want to be baptized, I want to encourage you. This Wednesday night's the night for that. So uh, come on Wednesday night. going to have some testimonies, um, some worship, some ministry time. It's going to be a beautiful time together. So we're going to be in uh, Acts chapter 19 today. If you have your Bibles, you can open them there. And... I'm really pumped about what the Lord is going to speak to us today through this. We're going to look at what happens when the kingdom of God breaks in on an entire city. When the kingdom of God breaks in and impacts a region. And we're going to look at how God moved in power 2,000 years ago and caused a pagan city called Ephesus to become, in just a few short years, the very epicenter of Christianity. That actually continued for the next 400 plus years. And I want us just today to begin to get a vision for what happens when God moves and transforms a city. How many desire for God to move and transform our city? I know. I know that I can sense that in the room today. Um, Ephesus was the second largest city in the Roman Empire next to Rome. And it was, it was a port city, and it was the hub of, of all kinds of trade routes to the world. Um, the city of Ephesus, um, if you wanted to go there today, it's off the coast of western Turkey, so you could go there if you wanted to. But uh, Ephesus was full of culture. It was full of, of, of uh, wealth and money. It was full of the arts. It was full of sensuality. Um, all kinds of sexual perversion was happening there um, in fact, uh, there, there were temples and statues everywhere dedicated to all kinds of gods. Um, in particular, right in the middle of the city was a huge temple, a giant temple that was dedicated to the Greek god Artemis. Did you, any of you learn that in history? My kids did. Um, the Romans called Artemis Diana. And a million people, as I researched this a bit, would come in at one time for a festival just to worship her. So they would gather just to worship this idol, this this false god Diana. It was a center for witchcraft and the occult here in Ephesus. Uh, The demonic was on display there. There were witches, there were warlocks that would just roam the streets there. Um, all over the place. The city was secular, but very spiritual, sensual, very, very dark. And in Acts chapter 19, the Apostle Paul arrives on the scene here in Ephesus on mission to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ and to preach the kingdom of God there in this very dark place. 
And the very first thing that he does as he arrives there in Acts chapter 19 is he finds some disciples and he asks them a question. This is what's recorded and that's where we're going to jump in here as he found these disciples in Acts 19, starting with verse 2. He asks them this question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, well, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. So he explains to them the way. And it says in verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Now, it's important for us as we look at this to note that the the very first question that Paul asks these disciples when he arrives is, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? I don't know if there was a little small talk before this or not. I don't know if he just showed up and found these 12 guys and said, hey, before we talk about anything else, did you, you know, I don't know, but this is what's recorded here. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? This group of disciples appear to have some knowledge about Jesus because they're called disciples, but something in their responses raise a question with Paul. They'd heard of Jesus, but they had not yet been converted. And Paul explains to them, and they respond by being baptized in the name of Jesus. He lays his hands on them. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. Something visible happened in this moment. Jesus had already said this is what was going to happen in Acts 1.8 when he said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. To be my witnesses. And what we see here in this moment is that from the very first moment he gets to Ephesus, his first concern, I want to emphasize this, is did you receive the Holy Spirit? His first concern is with the Spirit's powerful work in the individual and, as we'll see in a minute, the Spirit's work in the larger community around them. See, he knew that first and foremost... They needed the indwelling presence of Jesus, the Holy Spirit inside of them. And they would need the power of the Holy Spirit then upon their lives. Church, I want to suggest to you today, we need the power of the Spirit in his fullness in our lives and upon us and in our community today. We need this. We need him. And I want to assure you that as we're we're reading the the word of God today, and as you read the word of God on your own, I want to assure you that what we see in the Gospels And in the book of Acts is to be the pattern. It is to be the norm for us. We can't pick and choose what we like or what we feel comfortable with or what fits our own specific theological taste buds. The works and the life of Jesus that he calls us to are done through the power of the Holy Spirit, done through the anointing of God at work in us and through us as demonstrated by Jesus and through the early church. And it's not in our own power, in our own strength that the supernatural happens. Can I hear an amen on that? 
It's the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us and through us as we believe and as we yield to what he wants to do. Last Sunday was so beautiful. Um, We've had this happen many times over the years where God gives what we might call a word of knowledge where he speaks ahead of time about something that he wants to do when we gather. And there were a couple of words of knowledge given last Sunday about ears of all things, right? And do you remember, were you, some of you were here? Y'all remember that? What's, what's amazing to me is that we have had multiple stories of people fully healed from ear things. Like, this shouldn't be like abnormal. One woman, we have a video testimony. She's been in our church a long time. Had a, We prayed for, I think it was in this service, so we weren't able to share it. But uh, Sable, her ear from the age of 18, was um, there was a loss of hearing in there from a surgery that had happened. And it always was plugged up, so she did not hear well. In that service, God touched and healed her ear, and she could hear perfectly. She felt like a liquid moved through there, and her ear opened up. I mean, it was, it was beautiful, but what was as beautiful as the healing was that God was touching her on a heart level as well and reminding, him of her, of, reminding her of his goodness. Um, s- several stories. Um, one of our older members of our church, uh, God healed him of tendonitis. He said it had just been ringing, and it was just gone like that. Um, multiple stories um, that have been coming in in terms of ears because a couple people felt like God spoke to them that God wanted to heal ears. This shouldn't be abnormal. This should be normal. So over the centuries, though, the church, from the book of Acts on, over the centuries, the church grew cold and lost touch with the supernatural empowerment of the Spirit. Many teachers, theologians, over the years denied the church's need of the spirit that was received at Pentecost. There was a doctrine of the Holy Spirit, but without power, without practice, right? And because of that, there, there was a, a, a vital part of that true doctrine was really lost because it's not just talk, it's power, right? It isn't just, yes, in theory, God does this. No, it's actually like he wants to do that here in our midst. And the gift and the power of the spirit have periodically over history emerged um, and then disappeared somewhat again. But that changed with the outpouring of the Spirit at Azusa Street in the early 1900s, followed by the emergence of the charismatic renewal. Have you seen Jesus' Revolution? Such a powerful movie. And it spread from that across the world to encompass millions of believers. And we are living in much of the fruit of that. And what we're seeing is that is that people, as they reach out to God and begin to rediscover the fullness of the Holy Spirit's work in their lives, he he responds by restoring those realities to the church. And we're seeing that happen right now. We're a part of that. It's been happening quite a while, but we're in the midst of that being restored. Theologian David Campbell, I love what he wrote about this. He said, very often people have come to an encounter with the Holy Spirit in which they have received which was supposed to be part of the original package when they first came to Jesus. We would describe this as being 
refilled with the Spirit. Like what happened in Acts chapter 4, they were filled and then they were refilled. Or when Paul teaches in Ephesians 5 about our need to be continually filled. How many know the Spirit of God comes and dwells in us? He does not leave, but we need more of His Spirit in our lives. I don't know a single person that has arrived. I need more of him daily. It's called being poor in spirit, recognizing our need for more of him in our lives, his touch upon us. The point, though, is that I, that I want to make here, and I'm not going into a deep dive in this theologically today, but the point is, is that as Paul is stepping into a city that is filled with idol worship, sexual immorality and perversion of every kind, demonic activity, these new believers and this new church are going to need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't put, he doesn't, you know, what's interesting is he doesn't first put them through a teaching series. They get baptized. He lays his hands on them and they have an encounter and they're filled Because they are going to need the power of the Spirit in them and upon them. And I'd like to suggest it is the same for us today. We need to awaken to this. We need to be filled and continually filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, verse 8, we're moving on. Paul, from that moment, enters the synagogue. And it says for about three months, he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, the way was another way of word for Christianity because Jesus said he was the way, so they would call it the way. They're speaking evil of the way before the congregation. He withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, get this, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So what's happening here? Paul, Paul is, is not received in the synagogue. He's not received in the church. So he goes to the marketplace. The conflict and the criticism didn't come from the worshipers of Diana or the witches or the warlocks. It came from the unbelieving believers. So he took the disciples and he went to the marketplace and he taught in this hall of Tyrannus. And, and we, we don't know a lot about Tyrannus. Um, we don't know if Paul rented the space or if he got it as, you know, for free to, to be in at no cost. But this hall is where they would meet and, and here's what we know culturally about the day, because I think it's important for us to understand this, that because of intense heat there in Ephesus, people would begin work early in the morning, and they would work until 11, and then they would take a break until 4, and then they would go back to work until about 9. How many think that'd be fun? I like my evenings, though. Um, so what they would do is that in that space between 11 and 4, they would rest, because of the heat. And most people would actually nap during that time. How many like an afternoon nap? Yes. <laughs> We're like, yes, Lord. We, we receive that nap. So what, what was happening here is that from 11 
to four during the afternoon rest period where people would take naps or whatever, Paul would go to this hall and he would preach and he would teach the message of the kingdom of God. Now, while most of the city was doing leisurely things, whatever that was, taking a little cat nap, whatever, um, whatever they wanted to do, hungry people began to come and hear the proclamation of the gospel. Until it says that all of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And what's happening here, they're being equipped. They're being taught by Paul. And miracles begin to happen here. Verse 11, it says this, God was doing extraordinary miracles. Can we say that out loud? Extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs, do we say handkerchiefs or chiefs? I don't know. We're in Missouri, we'll say chiefs. <laughs> handkerchiefs. Handkerchiefs. See, it was prophesied. I'm kidding. Uh, even handkerchiefs or aprons, it said, that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. So Paul was a tent maker, right? Like he worked in the leather industry and he worked with his hands as his job to support his call to preach the gospel. Men in that day, as they worked in the heat, would wear a handkerchief. It sounds weird, doesn't it? Handkerchief, handkerchief. I don't know. They would wear this around their head, kind of like, you know, you think about uh, somebody that wears, I need one right now, actually, I'm starting to sweat, but, you know, around the head, he, they, they'd wear that because it would, it would cool them down from the heat as protection from the sun and to keep the, the, the sweat kind of soaked up. So men would also wear these fancy aprons around their waist. So while, while Paul is faithfully working a job, get this, to support the ministry that God's called him to, he's sweating away as unto the Lord, making tents. These pieces of material that he wore are being saturated with the anointing of God, infused with the power of the Holy Spirit and taken to people who were too sick to make the journey to where Paul was ministering. And they're healed and they're delivered. And it's the only time that it's recorded happening in the book of Acts, these prayer cloths. But what's interesting is, is that when people in Ephesus would visit these pagan, um, you know, uh, pagan temples, it was common for them to take home a piece of power. So they would buy a little paraphernalia, an object from whatever temple or whatever spiritual thing that they were a part of. They would take that home because they thought that it carried power. And so it seems, get this, that God was meeting people at the, at the point of where they were, the point of their faith, and healing them and delivering them through these pieces of material. Now, some of you say, that's, that's weird, right? Don't worry, I'm not going to start selling you know, material and sending it off for people to be healed. Don't worry, we're not going there. That's not the point. But, but you say, that's kind of crazy. I'd say, yeah, that's a little bit crazy. But guess what? Psalm, Psalm 115.3 says, our God sits in heaven and does whatever he wants. Sometimes, you know, we get so hung up on so many things and we have to come back to the simplicity that 
God is the God of all, and he sits in heaven, and he does whatever he stinking wants to do. (laughs) And I am not here to explain everything that he does. If he wants to use a piece of material with a little sweat on it and release healing through it, he can do whatever he wants to do. If he wants to heal a toe, he can heal a toe. I mean, seriously, he can do whatever he wants to do disagree with his word he'll never disagree with his word but he often messes I heard somebody say this once often messes with our understanding of it so God will move in ways that cause you to wonder sometimes have you ever had that happen that's why they're called signs and wonders they make you wonder They make you wonder, not only to inspire awe in us, but also to draw people to God. Obviously, God is using Paul in preaching the gospel here. But here's what I want us to recognize, that is Paul is working with his hands, making tents with leather with his hands. God is using the sweat of his labor to touch people, literally touch people. And as we, as we see this here, you guys, I want to ask you, because I think there's some practical application for us. What is it that you are putting in your hand that he wants to saturate with anointing? You thought you were just working away, sweating away. But church, I want to tell you, he wants to use what he has put in your hand to supernaturally flow through your life right where you are. This idea that we compartmentalize things to spiritual and not God wants to work through whatever it is he's called you to do right now. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, God wants to flow through your life. And sometimes we think, oh, I got to go. I got to go do this or I got to have a Bible study or I have to do this. No, 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 no. God wants to show up tomorrow morning at work. God wants to show up tonight in your home. God wants to show up with your neighbor while you're hanging out. Whatever it is that you're working on, he wants to flow through you. He wants to use you. And that's what we're seeing here in this this place, that, that God uses something very simple and very practical, like a piece of material to release his power. And that closed door in the synagogue, what did it do? It opened a place in the marketplace. And that would, that closed door, actually, he was able to step in and it, it initiated one of the most fruitful seasons and powerful seasons of, of ministry, of healing in Paul's ministry. And ultimately, a full-fledged revival broke out. Now, I believe that there are those here today, that as I just was sharing that passage, I believe that faith is rising up in this place. And I believe that you are going to step into an accelerated season of kingdom influence where you're working. How many work in the marketplace? Okay, what do the rest of you do? (laughs) That means you have a job. How many have a job? (laughs) Keep your hand up. I pray in Jesus' name over you. Come on, let's pray for a second. I pray in Jesus' name that wherever you're putting your hand to work, wherever you sit, whatever space you are in, I pray that the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit would flow through you and you would be aware 
of God wanting to use you in that space. I pray that in Jesus' name. I pray for teachers right now that as you are working with children and you are writing on chalkboards that God would use you in that space to bring his kingdom. I pray for you that are in the mental health field. I pray in Jesus' name that right there as you're talking, your words would stop and his words would break in. I pray in Jesus' name for those of you who own businesses and run businesses. I pray as you are doing business that you would not compartmentalize Jesus, but you would invite him into that place so that he can flow and use you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. And everybody else, whatever you do, you're included in that prayer. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So that's so good. So God is... He's moving in power in Ephesus, and power looked like healing. Power looked like deliverance. And there were these itinerant exorcists, the Bible calls them, which is kind of humorous to me. I guess these exorcists were like, go from city to city to work their magic on people to try and do some sort of exorcism. And they saw the demonized getting set free from what God was doing through Paul. And so many of you are familiar with the story. They decide they're going to try it, right? So they, they, what they did is they pronounced the name of Jesus over somebody who had an evil spirit. And they said, I command you by the Jesus who Paul proclaims. The problem is, is that the evil spirit didn't leave. The evil spirit began to talk back. Just so you know, if you're ever seeing somebody delivered, we don't let the demons talk back. We silence them in the name of Jesus. They don't get to speak into things. And it says there in verse 15, this this demon speaks back. It's pretty crazy, right? He says, I know Jesus. I recognize Paul. But who are you? And the man with the evil spirit leaps on them. Goes berserk. It's like a scene out of a horror movie. I don't watch those. I watched a couple when I was younger, but I got free. Don't watch those. They're very bad for you. This demon guy jumps on them, overpowers them, beats them up. I guess he strips their clothes off. They're naked and bleeding and left running. I mean, this is what happens because it's by the power of Jesus Christ alone that demons have to flee. The stuff we're singing here to this one that we're singing here in worship, this is the one that causes demons to flee. This is the one. It's not just an idea. It's not just this little Christian thing we do and come in. No, this is the one who has all authority. When he calls some, someone that's demonized or oppressed, that demon has to go. So this demonic beatdown, we could say, in this moment became known to all the residents of Ephesus. Word traveled really quick. And it says this in verse 17. It says, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. The fear of the Lord falls upon a city. And the name of Jesus is exalted in that place. And guess, look at this, what happens next. Verse 18. Also, many of those who were now believers came. 
This is important to pay attention to. Many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together, burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Verse 20, get this. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Prevailed mightily. What do we see happening here in Ephesus? We see people trembling at the word of the Lord. We see people trembling at the word of the Lord. I want to tell you, when the glory and the manifest presence and power of God rests and comes to a city, people begin to tremble at the word of the Lord. It isn't going to be our nice little little packages and programs that set people free. It's going to be the power of God that causes people to tremble at his word, where things begin to break off their life. Little religious conversations and arguments will not work. It is going to be the power of God. I was watching a video of myself last week that they posted a real close-up, and I was like, I look so mad. So I need to smile when I'm intense. The power of God. That'll be a good Instagram. Just kidding. Anyways, I got distracted by myself. I'm going to get back in the spirit here. Here's what we need to know. When God moves in power, it disrupts. When God moves in power, it confronts. When God moves in power, it destroys and prevails over every other God. The fear of the Lord fell upon them. And I'm so thankful for what he does individually in us. But sometimes you guys, like, like we get so focused on ourselves that we forget that God actually wants to move in a city. Like, I'm thankful that, that individually we're saved, delivered, and healed. But church, there's also a great display of his glory that is to come upon a city and to come upon a region. And I believe Springfield, Missouri. Here where an entire city is in this deep darkness, this, this dark place, King Jesus is declared and proclaimed and is praised. God is inviting us today, I believe, into a vision for our city and beyond, much like what happened here in Acts 19. Because he has a pent-up desire to pour out his spirit in this place because his name is here. That is a word on this house that God gave Pastor Gary at the very inception of this. He came here because he believed the word of the Lord that said, I have a pent-up desire to pour out my spirit in Springfield, Missouri, in this region, because my name is here. I want to tell you, this is not just hype. I don't care if you clap today or not. I believe God wants to do it in our city, and I believe that we are here to be a part of that. We are here to be a part of that. I'm praying this over our city. Let the fear of the Lord fall upon us, and may the name of Jesus be exalted. May we tremble at his word again. May the word of the Lord continue to increase and prevail mightily in our city. I'm telling you. It's the fear of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit move. All the gray areas are removed from the church. Things have become way too gray, you guys. Things are black and white in the kingdom. And what happens is the spirit of the age and the culture tries to get in on us where we kind of water down the truth. But God, God is bringing us back as we tremble at his word to what is true. 
and what is holy and what is right. Imagine this, you guys. Public confession. People revealing what they had been up to in private. I mean, this is like they're throwing their idols in a pile and setting it on fire before everybody. Did we read that? I feel like we did, didn't we? Good. I want to make sure I didn't skip it. This is what happened when the word of the Lord grows mightily and prevails. It tramples every ideology and idolatry that exalts itself against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the power of God moving in our city like he did in Ephesus? I believe God wants to birth that dream in us as a church. Preaching that is so convicting of sin. I'm tired of trying to reason with people about everything. I'm ready for a demonstration of power. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. There's not enough time till Jesus returns for us to talk everything out all the time. We need the power of God to do what we're seeing in this chapter in our city and in our church. Where God gets a hold of people and they just can't continue in where they've been. Can you imagine your neighbor bringing their idols to the square in response to the Holy Spirit's conviction? Can you believe, imagine believers, it's you and me, carrying their pornography, their iPhones, their computers, their whatever, their drugs, their pills, their, their alcohol. All the things that have been purchased or collected to manage chaos in their life. Whatever that idol might be, and dump it all down in the square in Springfield and light it up. And that's, this is what's happening here. And this is literally what's happening here. Burning it up because I refuse to have an idol or a rival to Jesus. You guys, I believe he's wanting to burn this in our hearts today. We see, we see people crying out, asking for forgiveness from the Lord. We see a little bit later in this chapter that the people in Ephesus not only got rid of their idols, but, but they stopped buying new ones. How many know that it's easy to like kind of have a moment of freedom and, and we lay an idol down, we get rid of it, but then, it, then a few weeks later, a few months later, a year later, we pick it back up. No, 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 no. We don't do that. I want to say this too, that, you know, I believe in encounter. I believe that we are here to, to, to have an encounter with the Lord. And, and, and what I see happen is that often people have an encounter with Jesus. It's real. It's powerful. But then they don't walk it out with him and they're not discipled and they're not equipped. So then they doubt the encounter that really did happen. I believe that God is raising us up as a church where we encounter the Lord. People walk through this place. They encounter the goodness and the presence of God, but they are also discipled by fathers and mothers in this house where they become who they were really made to become. And then they're empowered to go. I'm getting off my, my notes here. I'm going to get back to it. The idol-making industry literally shut down in their city. Think about that. All the money that people and businesses were making dried up too. Not just in Ephesus, but in most of Asia because Paul had preached the truth under the Spirit of God, under the power of the Spirit, and declared, he declared this to them. He says, the gods made with hands are not gods at all. 
The gods made with hands are not gods at all. And it enraged them. And a little bit later in the chapter, we see that those whose hearts remained hardened to the gospel suddenly wanted to stop what God's doing. I'll tell you, there's always people that are going to want to stop what God is doing. They seized a couple of those who were with Paul, his companions. And the Bible says later in that chapter, for two hours straight, the crowd shouted at them, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. For two hours, they just shouted that out at them. What's happening here? The people were incited by the dethroned principalities that, to try and stop what God was doing by taking out the leaders. It happens every time, you guys. When a principality over an area is losing its grip, they inflame anger, rage, gossip, slander, whatever it takes to shut down what God is doing. But here's what I want to tell you today. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. Can we say that out loud? Jesus is greater. Declare it out. Jesus is greater. We could shout that out for two hours and it wouldn't be enough. It's one thing for the Spirit of the Lord to live in you. It's the most wonderful thing to move through your life as an individual. It's another thing for the power and the presence of God to rest across a city and a region that literally shuts down the powers and principalities. This is what happened here in Ephesus. And I believe today, I share this. It was interesting. Last last week, it was a week or two ago, I don't know. The Lord just was like, the next time you preach... Acts 19, I couldn't even remember what it was about. So I had to dig in, and I studied it. I want to tell you why. I believe that God wants to give us a vision for what he can do in a city. I believe he wants to open up our hearts and our minds to the power of what the Spirit of God can do. Not what we can do, what he can do. What he can do through us. I believe the Lord wants to birth that in us, a hunger in us, contending in prayer, in fasting, For our city, our community to come under the prevailing word of the Lord. Under the influence of the power of God. God moving in such a way that Jesus is exalted increasingly, increasingly, increasingly. Until he returns. Until he returns. Where his name is above every other name. And my prayer is, let it begin in me. My prayer is, let it begin in us. Let it begin right now. Let it break forth in us. Let this vision get in us. So just as we've been in this passage, what does it look like for God to move in a city? What does revival look like? I don't even know what that word means anymore. It's been used for so many things, so many definitions. But it looks like encounter. It looks like people encountering God in radical ways. It looks like people coming to Jesus. It looks like people getting filled with the Holy Spirit. It looks like opposition. God moving looks like resistance. God moving looks like all of those things, but it also looks like not giving up and being faithful. Three months in the synagogue, this isn't working. They're not receiving it. They're not believing. We'll go to the marketplace. Two years pours out his heart, the kingdom of God, and God begins to move in the city where it shuts down the darkness. Faithfulness. It looks like equipping the word of the Lord being taught and caught. 
For two years, Paul teaches, and people come during their leisure time to grow. You guys, I felt there was something in that. How many of us have given ourselves to our leisure time and not to the things of God? How many have prioritized what we feel like or what we want to do instead of coming and gathering in the presence of God and pursuing the things of God? It is a time to come back to focus. It is a a time to come awaken. It is a time to come back to what matters to God above everything else. The spirit of the world and the culture tries to get on us, but church, we're called to be totally other culture than the world, counterculture to the world. It looks like people making sacrifices to go for God. I want to tell you this is not a casual thing. There is a sacrifice to pursue the things of God. It's all free. It's all been given. But we have to put ourselves in that place to say, God, I want you. Heard this line from many people. God comes where he is wanted. He comes where he is welcome. And we are a church that says, God, we want you. Not only we want you, we need you. We must have you. And we're going to refuse to fall asleep. But we're going to stay awake. And we're going to lean into knowing you, Jesus. We're going we're to lean into the supernatural. Because we know you want to work through our church with healing and deliverance. It looks like God using the very ordinary things like your work to release his presence and his power like Paul's did. It looks like confession, you guys. It looks like a radical turning from sin. When God moved here, these guys did a life audit and they got rid of what no longer was appropriate to do or have in their life. Come on. Wasn't about what they felt wasn't about what they felt like they needed. It was about what does God say? And I want to tremble at his word. They got things out of their house that should not have stayed in their house. As followers of Jesus, when the presence of God begins to move, the church responds by saying, we will have no idols. We will have no other gods before us. I want to ask you this morning, we're going to close. If we had a bonfire today, What would Jesus say that you need to throw in it? Throw it in. Throw it in. Throw it in. Get rid of it. Can we just pray right now, right where you're at? Just lift your hands just before you. I pray. Right now, I ask for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to move among us now. And I pray right now that anything that is holding you back or hindering your love, that you would get rid of it. I pray for a holy violence in us to rise up for the things of God, that anything that's standing in the way of love, anything that's hindering our passion, I pray right now that, Holy Spirit, you would convict us, you would break it off, and we would respond to that and throw it in the fire. I pray that in Jesus' name. You know, when they counted up all that they threw in the fire, in today's numbers it would have been in the millions it was like worth millions depending on all the numbers and inflation all this i mean i I saw things that said three to six million dollars these were believers too throwing their stuff in that was worthless 
it's like, it's like they really got this, like, this truth that I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. That Jesus is worth more than any of that. Jesus is worth more than any lifestyle that I think I want. Jesus is worth more than, than any, any lesser thing. I just want Jesus. I just want Jesus, and I'm praying that over us. Would you stand with me this morning? I just want to pray. I'm going to invite our ministry to, team to come down as quickly as you can, and I want to just throw out a few things. We're going to minister and pray for people today. But I wonder if there are people, first of all, in the room today would say, I don't know Jesus. In fact, I'm just going to ask you, church, would you just begin to pray with me right now? If you know the Lord, would you just begin to welcome him? Would you just begin to welcome the presence of God just to begin to, to move in our midst? Can we do that out loud? Just welcome him. We just welcome you to do what you can do right now, Lord, to do what you want to do in this place. Yeah, just keep praying. I wonder if there are people here that do not know Jesus. When we open up the front of this room in just a minute, I want to invite you. He wants to know you. He wants to, he wants to fill your life. He wants to give you a whole new life. He wants to take you out of where you are and put you into a different place completely in him. I wonder if there are people here today who would say, we, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> people here today that would say, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. People here today that say, I want a fresh filling of the Spirit of God in my life. I wonder if there are people here today that would say, I need healing or I need freedom in my body or in my life today. And I believe that if you're here today, maybe there's people that say, I want to confess today and throw some idols on the altar. And we want to pray with you about all these things. We're going to sing this little chorus before I invite you to come.